You're listening to Joe List's Mindful Metal Jacket on the Riotcast Network, riotcast.com. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and everybody and everything in between. Welcome to Joe List's Mindful Metal Jacket podcast. Thank you for listening. Uh, This is my new podcast, and you're listening to one of the first episodes, and I appreciate you listening. I hope that you enjoy it. Today, I have a long conversation with my friend, Ranan Hirschberg, or Ranan Hirschberg. I don't know how to say his name. I believe we talk about this on the podcast. He is my closest friend whose name I don't know how to say, but he's uh, accepting of both. Ranan, Ranan uh, Hirschberg, great guy and a fellow anxiety and panic sufferer. And uh, I'm really proud of this episode. This episode uh, I put in this first group of episodes because it felt like what I want the show uh, to be and to sound like. We had a great talk. He's somebody that, like I said, has dealt with extreme anxiety and panic attacks on stage and off, and uh, I have as well. And I like to think I was um, helpful to him in this, and certainly he's helped me out. It's like anything else in this life. It just helps to know that somebody else is suffering from similar things. I always suffer from the fear that I have Joe List's disease, some crazy mental disorder or physical disorder that no one's ever had before. So I spend a lot of my life asking people, have you ever had this? And then if they have, I feel better. If they haven't, I feel worse, which is a bad way of approaching it, I've learned, because it just kind of reinforces the fact that if I have, if they don't have it, that means I have it and it's a horrible thing where I should just look at it as I'll just deal with whatever it is if I do have said thing. But uh, for me, normally it's just stress and anxiety making everything worse. Um, But I'm dealing with it and that's what this uh, show is all about. This is my new podcast called Mindful Metal Jacket and you're about to hear it. You're hearing it currently right now, but the uh, the meat of the episode of the show is um, talking with uh, comedians or whoever it may be. So far, just comedians, but people who also have anxiety and what they do to deal with it. Not just anxiety, but stress, depression, and all the things that come with um, living a life here on Earth, which is sometimes uh, very difficult and tricky. And so uh, Renan and I got into it. We had a really good conversation. It felt cathartic. We had a couple laughs. And um, we got into mindfulness and um, some books we like and meditation and panic attacks and a lot of our experiences. And um, I think it uh, hopefully will be helpful to you and enjoyable to you. And um, that's why I'm doing this podcast. And uh, I'll tell you, doing an introduction is weird. I'm just walking around my apartment talking into a microphone by myself. So I feel a little psychotic, but that's anxiety. That's a form of anxiety. It's thinking that I sound stupid and everyone hates me. I hope that you don't hate me. I hope that you like me. That's why you're here. And then hopefully after listening to this, you'll like me even more. But that's not the motivation. You see, I'm back into the same habit habit and patterns. It doesn't matter if you like me. I hope that you enjoy this and it's helpful to you. And um, here comes Renan Hirschberg. But first, I like to throw out a little Buddhist wisdom, not from me, but from somebody that's smart. And every week I'm going to struggle to say the name of this uh, Buddhist woman named Pema Chodron. Pema Chodron? 
I don't know how to say her goddamn name, but I have this book, The Pocket Pema Pima Chodron Chodron. And it's got little brief excerpts from all of her books that have helped me. I believe she wrote a book called When Things Fall Apart, which I highly recommend. It's a great book. I just don't know how to say her name properly. And so I apologize to her and I apologize to you, but look her up and get the book When Things Fall Apart. It's a great book. And this is an excerpt from a book that's just a pocket reader of her stuff. And uh, this particular passage is called When You Open Up to Life As It Is. When you open up yourself to the continually changing, impermanent, dynamic nature of your own being and of reality, you increase your capacity to love and care about other people and your capacity to not be afraid. You're able to keep your eyes open, your heart open, and your mind open. And you notice when you get caught up in prejudice, bias, and aggression, you develop an enthusiasm for an enthusiasm for no longer watering those negative seeds from now until the day you die and you begin to think of your life as offering endless opportunities to start doing things differently that's you you're listening start doing things differently today now now is the only moment that matters and now you're about to hear a conversation with my friend Renan Hirschberg, who's a comedian that you should know. I don't know if you know him. Most likely you don't. He's got about nine followers on social media. But go follow him on Twitter and Instagram. And he just did the Late Late Show with James Corden, like, uh, last week. And it's hilarious. He is a great comic, and uh, I've been a big fan of his for a long time. He's from Kentucky originally. That doesn't, he doesn't have a Kentucky name, I can tell you that. He sounds like a New Yorker. Um, but there's Jews in Kentucky, folks. I'm here to tell you that. And uh, absolutely excellent, top-class comedian. He's one of my favorites. And uh, he's a guy I would like to work with more often on the road, but he's doing his own headlining, and he's a tough follow because he murders. So uh, fuck him. But um, check him out. He also has an album coming out soon. I think we discussed that in the podcast great comic. I know you'll enjoy his comedy, and I hope you enjoy this conversation because he's a uh, highly intelligent and uh, just a thoughtful, good person. So enjoy this conversation with Renan Hirschberg. Thank you. I love you. Yeah. And the phone, but they're not connected. Yes, they are not connected. So but the phone's the backup. The phone is the backup because I'm going to, I fuck up a lot. Okay. But see, this is what I'm here to talk about. I, I assume I fuck up, and I'm I'm identifying with my feelings and thoughts yeah. that I'm a fuck up. You're embracing it. You need, but but you need non-identification. You gotta. Uh, What's that? You gotta non-identification is like I was reading about in this Jack Cornfield book, Rain. Are you familiar with Rain? Rain. <laughs> yeah. I assume it's more than just the stuff from Scott. <laughs> Not just the weather, uh, not just the oh, water. Oh, wait, wait a minute. It's do you mean, rain. Do it's you a, mean the metaphor of when you have anxiety, just act like it's bad weather and then I'll pass? No, but I love that that's, analogy, that's too. That's very helpful to me. Did I tell you that one? No, Becky uh, Rodriguez told me that. Who did? Becky Rodriguez. Oh, jeez. Well, the photographer lady? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love her. Yeah. She's yeah. great. She's wise. I should have her on the podcast. Yeah. She, instead of she you. Knows a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you can call her now. She knows a lot about anxiety. Yeah. She's very calm now, though, but, you know. Yeah, she's really not. I talked to her about diet and stuff. I wanna, I'll get back to this rain business, but I've been trying to really change my diet and doing it. Yeah. And I think Sam has a bit, and I think a lot, probably a lot of people have bits about, like, People are like, oh, your diet can help with depression and stuff. And yeah. you're like, listen, my dad didn't hug me. What the hell's broccoli going to do? That was right, my take right, on it. Right, right. But now I'm eating well, and I'm like, I do feel a lot better. 
I mean, it's probably more important than your dad hugging you at this point, you know, because it's like every day you're eating, you know, it's like affecting you. That's a good point. You know, yeah. every day he's not hugging me, but also every day I'm eating yodels. Yeah, yeah. So. I mean, you know, you know, I mean, you, you know, get over that eventually. But like, you know, if you have bad, if you eat bad shit, it'll make you feel depressed. I don't know. I feel fat a lot and I get depressed. But you've lost a lot of weight. Yeah, but it's going to come back. I've fluctuated my whole life. See, never... that's we're identifying with our thoughts. This is the rain. So rain is recognize you got to recognize that you're feeling down or whatever if you're obsessing or something i'm a very obsessive guy yeah you got to recognize like all right i'm in a loop here i can't stop then the a is accept you're mm -hmm. accepting like okay this is who i am or what i am and i'm like i'm, I'm, I'm anxious and then the i is investigate you got to okay. investigate why am i freaking out what is right. it i'm freaking out about and then the n is just the n word it's uh, <laughs> no, um, the N is non identification, which means you shouldn't identify your being as your thoughts. Right. Your thoughts are not reality. Yes. Well, I, I lost track. What's the R again? The R is retarded. No, <laughs> the R is um, recognize. You got to recognize. Recognize and then accept. Oh, accept. Well, the recognized part is easy. That's what happens when you're having anxiety or something. Well, it sounds easy, not. but it's not always easy. You're Sometimes, a bad mood, but you don't realize it. Yeah, or I have this with like I'm obsessing about my reflux or my tooth. I'm not recognizing that I'm having anxiety. Okay, right, right. I'm right, just right, going, right. no, my tooth hurt. I'm not having you're anxiety. Focused on the thing, not the uh, yeah. Right. There's no recognition that I'm actually having like an anxiety attack. In yeah. my mind, I'm like my tooth is fucked up. That's why I'm upset. I kind of had this conversation. I was talking to Caitlin Palufo last night. She, she I love just, Palufo. She's great. She just, she's like one of my best friends. And she just did uh, The New York's Funniest. Yeah. And she had a great set, Destroyed. But she didn't. I hope I, well, whatever. It doesn't matter. She, yeah, uh, she'll be fine. She didn't, uh, she didn't win. And afterwards, but she had an amazing set. And afterwards, she was like, like, did I do the wrong thing? Should I said more new? And I was trying to tell her. I forgot to text her this, but I wanted to. That you just had a lot of anxiety for this show. Right. And now that the show's over, you still have anxiety and it has nothing to latch on to because it doesn't have the show anymore. Right. So it's latching on to thinking about what you could have done wrong. So I guess she's not recognizing. She's just looking at, oh, I should have done more new. I should have done this instead of going, oh, no, this is leftover anxiety. Yeah, she needs to make it rain. Make she it needs rain. rain. She's got to recognize <laughs> and then accept that she's anxious, I guess, or that she lost. And or then you whatever. get rewarded at the end by saying the N-word. That's like your reward. Yeah, you throw it out there, which is always fun. But the non-identification part is, uh, and I'm reading this, I've read it so many times, because this woman, Tara Brock, I listen to her podcast a lot. I listen to her a little, very soothing. Yeah, yeah, she's great. Sometimes she's too soothing, where I start dozing. Mm, yeah, um, but that's good. That's calming. I guess so, but I'm trying to. There's like the thin line between meditation and sleeping. You want to get right before falling asleep, but not falling asleep. Yes, that's the perfect place. Yeah, that's the sweet spot. Yeah, is that what TM's about? Because we can get into that. TM, also. I don't fully. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a good. TM, everything's supposed to be good when you're meditating. There's no bad. If right. You have thoughts the whole time. Honestly, I think it's all the same shit deep down. Like, but they act like mindful is doing it completely wrong. Oh, really? Do they kind of say wrong, that? But they act like TL and they talk shit about it the whole time. Really? They, well, they're selling it to you. So they're like, mindful helps this much, but TM, like, and then it's just like a giant percentage oh. thing shoots up, you know? Oh, wow. Because uh, TM feels like that's, you, you got a mantra and then you're doing some shit. You got a mantra. I don't want you to give away the secret sauce here. I, know I, they, can't, they, I can't, that I won't give away. They yeah. charge you like nine grand for that mantra, don't they? <laughs> Isn't it really expensive? 
Well, no, you have to pay for the course. And me and Steve Rogers like did it. And we we both wrote stand up on the thing, but they got to see two different levels because he like paid full and I had to do like a scholarship thing for five. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. <laughs> um, but I uh you pay I don't know, I only paid three hundred bucks and I pay seventy five a month. Oh, that's not bad. That's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. I do the I'm doing the calm app, which is like eighty eight bucks a year with Tamara Levitt. Okay. And that's like a 10 minute mindful guided. There's some other shit on there, but I don't use it maybe properly. But I do the everyday 10 minute mindful thing, and then I do it on my own a few times. Well, TM's a lot. TM's 20 minutes during the day, right when you wake up, and 20 minutes before you go out at night. Uh huh. I'm like a fucking Muslim. I'm praying like, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and do you feel bad? I mean, do you notice it right away, or is it. I feel, yeah. I, you know, I had, I had a like kind of an, I don't know if you call it a nervous breakdown this summer, but I, what do you call it when you have like a. Just anxiety, collapse. I don't know. Just like three months, the worst anxiety I've ever had. Yeah, I've kind of had that myself this year. So we we kind of both went through it quite yeah, a bit. Yeah, I messaged now, you early. You were very helpful. Oh, thank you. Was I helpful? That makes that me great. feel good. All I mean, right. you know, for a couple of days and then I'll come back. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> that's the thing nice though. in the moment. That's the thing with life. Like all these books, which I've read, I have piles of Thich Nhat Hanh books and Jack Kornfield and uh, Tara Brock. And, the end of the day, it's just yeah. back to who you are. <laughs> well, you just need to, and then therapy and AA and like all this stuff, you just need to have it hammered in over and over again yeah and that's when i realized i'm like oh that's kind of what religion is yes. or the idea of religion is we go once a week to rehear it all but it's also meditation that's something i never realized as a kid i go to synagogue and i'd be bored out of my mind yeah right so bored and my parents liked it right but as you get older you realize boredom can also be meditation they're kind of like the same thing just your perspective as a kid you're just bored as an adult i think my parents are just meditating in synagogue Interesting. And I think people who pray, I think it's the same shit. Because Jews, like religious Jews, when they wake up in the morning, they pray. They have a whole prayer. One of them is, thank God I'm not a woman. That's one of the prayers. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. But Jews are really a funny people. <laughs> I mean, the funniest, right? They're funny. I don't know if they're being funny there. I think they're legitimately feeling grateful. But uh... Right. Who do you think is the funnier group? Just a quick side note. Jews Black or blacks? You, you think blacks funnier? Yeah. For comedy? Just in general, as a, not, not as stand-ups. But oh, as, outside I of, mean, stand-ups, I, it's, it's competitive, I would say. I don't know. I mean, I, I, mean, I feel like Chappelle, Pryor. Here's the thing. Blacks would have, I feel weird saying blacks. Is that all right? I don't know. Blacks would have. I'm, I'm not offended. <laughs> blacks would have the more up top, but then there's so many amazing Jews. Like, there's probably more great Jewish comics than black, but the best yeah. black comics are better than the best Jewish comics. I've never been worried following a Jew. <laughs> oh really? Well, I mean, well, that's also different styles too. Yeah, I'm very worried following a funny black person. Like, that's fair. Yeah, I'm never worried. I mean, following a funny Jew, I'm like, oh, there's just just be more of that. But as know? a people, socially, it's very close. I think different styles. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you mean just hanging out? Yeah, hanging out. You meet people. Just the general. Um... Yeah, I mean, Larry David's probably like the funniest person. One of the funniest people to hang out with, I'd imagine. Yeah, he's like the basis of all my life. Yeah. Comedy. <laughs> Me too, yeah. But I told you, I think I talked about this before. I don't know if I told you, but I talked about it on my podcast before on Tuesdays with Stories where I saw a guy, two black guys yelling across the train fl platform to each other. And he, one guy said, that guy's armpits were so sweaty, 
Looked like this motherfucker put a water balloon in a headlock. <laughs> and I was like, it was like, they weren't even like, it wasn't even like he's like, I'm going to say something hilarious right now. Throw he was yeah. just, yeah, he was just tossing that out. work all day f- to get that joke. I like, know. And I was, exactly. Water balloon armpit. At the end of the day, you'd be like, that's amazing. Yeah, dude. yeah. I would call my friends and text like Sam Johnny Marill. Cash writes Walk the Line in the movie. You'd be like, this is incredible. Yeah. Yeah, he just Off tossed the cuff, it out there. That's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty awesome. But anyway, he said the N word and not motherfucker. I made it motherfucker because we've already dabbled in the N word earlier. <laughs> So I don't want to. <laughs> this is getting too much. Let's get back to rain and TM. You just said the N word, and it wasn't even about that. It's just an actor, you know? but mainly the water balloon. Thing. Yeah, I just have to quote the whole thing. Um, but anywho, yeah. Um, so yeah, but meditation, the prayer is similar to meditation, I guess, because it's like a break from your day. It's a break from your day. That's the most important thing. I feel like the thing about TM that's helped me is that it's just a fucking break from this reality right and when you have a break it makes this reality more interesting now do you find yourself struggling to stay with the mantra or whatever and not because that's I your do, only objective is if you lose the mantra which is fine just whenever you realize you've lost it just to keep on going with the mantra just come back to it that's the only objective and that's very similar to mindful meditation when you come back to the breath it's the same thing yeah same thing essentially it's the same shit i think you know i think it's all the same it's you know meditation praying it's all kind of like you know, just, yeah, getting outside yourself. It, it's just, it's just, for me, it's just entering a new world, kind of, which is cool. Right. You or you're getting inside yourself. Inside. Yeah. You're getting, you're feeling inside yourself. I feel like most of your life, you're trying to go outside yourself. But right. The real answers are inside. Right. Right. I so, think so. Uh, yeah. That's wise. But you are probably already doing that. We're getting wisdom here. That's <laughs> well, I what feel we're like doing. I just requoted what you just said. But. No, but I like it. But, um, <laughs> but I do think I, I struggle when I'm meditating. And this is what I have to focus on. They keep telling you over and over again is the non-judgment. That's the important part of meditation. You're not doing it. Yeah. Is not to judge yourself because you start to go immediately. You're like, I'm fucking planning my day right now. I'm thinking about an episode of the monkeys I saw. And I'm doing it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And I suck. I can't do it. But that's that's the only issue you're having. And I heard a good thing about meditation. Tamara Levitt said is it's simple, but it's not easy. Mm. It's supposed to be simplistic, but not necessarily an easy thing to do. It's well, it's difficult. not easy in the sense that your your natural into uh, natural response is to think you're doing it all wrong. Right. So that's like you have to kind of fight against that, or not fight. You can't fight, but you have to like be easy on yourself, which I guess is hard if you're not naturally easy on yourself. Right. And I always think I'm doing everything wrong. Yes. Sex wrong. I mean, I am mostly doing sex wrong a lot. That's not just in my head. <laughs> <laughs> you, can, you can tell by their face. Yeah, yeah. That's, um. <laughs> that's, that's fairly objective a lot. But, uh, you know, sex wrong, comedy wrong, everything's wrong. So when you're meditating, I'm like, yeah, first you're like, am I doing this right? And then also sometimes with my mantra, I'd start saying it differently. Right. I'd start saying rhyming words. Like, I'd rhyme it. Interesting. And I was like, is that wrong? But then you have the class and you ask them and they're like, no, nothing's wrong. The only thing wrong is thinking you're doing it wrong. Right. Which is like a metaphor for life. Yes. Yes. But I have the same thing. And that's, I think, the N in RAIN, non-identification, is we identify ourselves as fuck-ups. Yes. Whereas, like, I do everything wrong. I I can't. I I played the mandolin. I kind of stopped playing it for a while. MMA. I'm like, I'm not tough enough. What am I doing here? I'm just a I feel like a loser all the time. But that's identifying with your thoughts and your your thoughts thoughts are are not reality. Your thoughts are not reality. Yeah. And there's, you know, yeah. And that that helps. It helps when you I meditate to just like I've had one of the things in the class I taught. I really probably shouldn't be. But whatever. One of the things they t- It's like AA. You're not supposed yeah, to be talking about it, but who gives a shit, shit really? Yeah, yeah. Um but uh one of the things they say is that uh that really helped is that like I don't know if it's real, but 
but basically when you meditate, when you say the mantra, it kind of makes you go inward, but like when you go inward to, towards your pure consciousness, so all your thoughts are on the up, uh, the above level, uh-huh. when you meditate, you're kind of slowly going into this place before the thought is like fully processed, and that's like pure consciousness. But when you go in there, and this could all be bullshit, but what, the idea is it relieves stress, but when we relieve stress, thoughts start coming to the head again, like in a cycle. Interesting. So basically what they're saying, which really helped, is that if you're having a bunch of thoughts and it's really stressful, that's actually okay. You'll hmm. actually feel you're actually relieving stress. That's what they say. Oh, interesting. So when you're having a, a whole meditation, you don't feel like you did it right, or it's all thoughts, and you're never in that what do you call it, traditional not thinking place. They almost made it seem like that makes you less stressed during the day. You know, it's like two different ways. And I, I think it's, I don't think there's any science behind pure consciousness. I don't really know what that is, but like it helped me in realizing that that's just good. That's fine too. Thoughts. No thoughts, all of it's fine. Okay, that's good to know because I always feel that way. I'm like, I'm thinking too much. Let me come back to my breath. And then you can focus on your breath and then you feel thoughts starting to come up. And it's like a battle. I feel like I'm battling. Don't don't push them away. I mean, unless mindful is different, let them come. That's right. The the Mahajuji, the guy who started. What's his name? Maharajuji Maharishi. The Harish. What is it? The. I'm trying to give you wisdom, and I'm like, can't even pronounce that. That's all right. <laughs> uh, there's so many words like that. Bodhis- Bodhisattva, I always read, and I can never say it in my head. I'm like, Bodhisattva. Yeah, it's like Mahara Rishi. The Mahara Rishi yeah, says. Whoever, yeah. I got to pr- learn how to pronounce it right so I can sound wise. It really backfires when you're like. <laughs> yeah, you can't just be like the guy. Yeah, there's the this guy. The guy with the beard. The dude. Says, <laughs> yeah, the bearded dude. The beard. He says, uh, wait. Now I lost my fuck. Oh, fuck. What's he say? God, that was going to be a big nugget of wisdom. I'm the worst sage of all time. <laughs> I just came to like this mountaintop to talk to you, and you're like, fuck, what's his name? Do you remember the? Uh, do you remember that scene in Love and Death? Have you seen that? What is it? Love and Death. Woody the Woody Allen? Allen? Oh, yeah, of course. When Diane Keaton sits next to that like, bearded sage, and she sits down, she's like, I've heard you're the oldest, wisest sage of all time. And he's just like, Get off my beard. I don't know why. That's just a thought that came to me and I didn't repress it. That's good. I let it happen. Thoughts are good. Um, I feel like you're going to tell me the entire meaning of life <laughs> and then you got fucked up on the guy's name. Wait, I'm going to get it. The Maharishi said, oh yeah, take it easy. Take it as it comes. Okay. What's the it? Pussy? When you're meditating. <laughs> when you're meditating. Take, take it, it easy, easy and take, take it, it as, as it comes. comes. That's very, that actually is really helpful. I don't seem simplistic, but when you're meditating, take it easy. Right. When thoughts come, don't fight them. Let them happen and take it as it comes. Take everything as it comes. In a way, almost, I think of when you're meditating, almost detach yourself. Look at yourself like it's a movie and whatever happens, happens, you know? Right. Interesting. Well, it's kind of like I have that quote in one of my jokes that's like a Buddhist quote of um, let thoughts come into your head, but don't serve them tea. Right, right, So it's like you don't fight them, but don't fucking be like, all right, let me sit on this thought for a while. exactly. It's like a detachment. Yeah, you just go, oh, I just thought about ball cancer. All right, that's weird. And then you kind of come back to your breath, and then that will leave, and then maybe it comes back. But if it comes back... It comes back, it comes back. Yeah. Yeah. Eventually you get chemo if it keeps coming back. (laughs) You zap it off. Yeah. Thing, um, the thing that, like, also helps with the class, I think that's what good with the class because I was doing the mindful meditation and it wasn't like, uh, I just didn't have enough guidance of doing it right. The other thing they said in the class is that when people feel like they've done tests where they put uh, wires up to your brain and uh, the EKG or whatever, and uh, a lot of times people felt like they weren't meditating or it's bad, like a bust. You know how you have a bust 
just thoughts the whole time. You're like, right. what's the point of this? I was just stressed. I just closed my eyes. I was stressed. Right. Apparently, scientifically, you were just in that same meditative state. Really? If you're saying the mantra, that's what they say. You know, interesting. If you're okay. saying the mantra, you're coming back to the mantra. No matter how much thoughts come in or how anxious you, you're still in that same meditative state. So yeah, and that's the thing too. They talk about, and this is so many things with writing jokes or um, athletics or diet or meditation, whatever. Is like you can't keep checking in to be like, is it working? Do I feel better now? That's my. It's th- not yeah. worth doing. You got to kind of. You're just. It's just something you do, and then slowly you kind of feel without maybe um, being conscious of it. Like, oh, I'm snapping less, or uh, right. Or with comedy, you're like, oh, I'm killing a little bit harder. Or those jokes are working. It's like that thing of like, put your head down and just. That's my. See where you are in six that's months. That's my biggest struggle with this last anxiety thing breakdown. Is that. I'm always checking to see if my anxiety is gone. I do the and same the thing. the minute you check, it's there. And right. it's a paradox because ultimately I want to be in a place where I look in and don't have anxiety. But the real place will be when I stop looking in. Yes. Yeah, you accept it. And that's what's so counterintuitive. But then I want to have relief. Right. But that's what's so counterintuitive about all of it because I've had this with panic attacks and we talked about that a little bit and uh, i like to talk about it more. But like with panic attack, your instinct is to like – Fight it. I got to stop this panic attack. Yes, you told and me that's that. yeah. counterintuitive because it just f- sends it further spinning. You have to accept, which sounds so crazy. And it, uh, you can hear it a million times and you're like, that, dumb, that doesn't make sense. But then it's all of a sudden it does. It does. And, and you've told me that. And the thing is, like, you get the words, but you got to learn them yourself. Right. Exactly. Because you're like, don't fight it. I'm like, okay. And then I thought I was doing that, but I wasn't. Right. You know, it's like everyone has to learn how to do how. Because you think you're not fighting, but you are. And a lot of times you think, well, a lot of times they say, accept what you're afraid of. And sometimes when I, I, a lot of my anxiety this last couple of months has been feeling really dizzy. Right. Like all day, you know? Wow. And, and I was like, well, okay, what am I afraid of? It just seems like a physical symptom. Right. But then eventually I was like, maybe I am deep down afraid of falling. Right. And I don't even realize what my fear is. And then like accepting that. The other thing is like, I think not even like, like, Instead of fighting the anxiety, like live in it too, like feel it, like right. actually feel it. Because right. your reaction is to not feel it, to fu- right. you know, and so just actually embrace it. Kind of that thing, like going into the what in Thirty Rock where Alec Baldwin's like, you got to go into the crevice to like go. You know, if you're like, I forget what he said. He's like climbing a rock. He's trying to escape. He got like hurt, but if he jumped down through it, he like somehow survived. You have to go into the oh. thing to get out of it. Or like, um, there's the buffalo. And uh, some other animal, the sheep, let's say. Mm-hmm. The sheep, they see a storm coming and they try to run from it, but they end up running like a similar pace as the storm. And so they're in the storm longer. Right. Where the buffalo will run straight into the storm and you kind of fast forward it. You kind of you head into it, get right which into is it. scary. That's great. But then the storm is going one way and you're going the other way. So you kind of get over it. We're quicker. so bad at wives' advice where you're like, buffalo or the sheep? Let's say sheep. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck animal it was. You can't be a sage if you're like, you know, the sheep. <laughs> or something, antelope. Some animal runs away from the fucking storm. I don't know which one. But uh, so the, the panic attack thing, I had something big for that what was it oh it's also about like accepting your worst fear yeah like for me i was always so afraid of having a panic attack on stage yeah and then i did and i did a whole show at the st louis funny bone a 45 minute set and killed it was having a panic attack throughout the entire thing nobody noticed and it was fine and i had a, a conan set with the one where i did the uh yeah which one was it I... it was the teeth one where i had my teeth pulled and the appendix. Yeah, it's great. I was having a panic attack. Yeah. It was fine. I'm like, I had 
This is what my therapist said. He's like, your worst fear ever came completely true. You were having a panic attack on oh, television. It was great. Nobody even noticed. So after you go through that, you're kind of like, all right, so the worst, it's no big deal. I'm just shaking. I'm freaking out. I feel like that yesterday because I've had this summer I had panic attacks on stage a bunch. Yeah. And it didn't fully affect me except for the fact that I'm miserable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that part sucks. And you're like, I didn't even enjoy that experience. And, I was and freaking that's out. Like the saddest part is that like, wow, with panic, it's like I'm miserable and no one knows. And that's even more depressing. It's like there's a disconnect between reality and how I feel. Yes. I was just talking about this. I think um, I've been talking this a bunch lately because my best friend was saying this. I might have said this in the other another episode, but people think that I'm doing great because I have a nice disposition and I'm kind of just like, hey, what's up, everybody? So people don't think that I'm a fucking mental case. But in reality, in the inside, I'm losing my mind all right. the time. Right. So that actually adds to it because people think like, ah, you're fine. What are you talking about? Right. You're doing well. You were on TV. You got a nice apartment. You have a great wife. But you're like, no, no, this is mental. Internally, I'm fucking dying. Isn't it inside. sad that it's just like not connected? I, I feel something sad about that, that like your life can be good and you can seem normal on the, you know, I almost wish people could tell so there could be some connection. Right, right. Because it's like, I'm miserable this whole time and I'm not even doing anything differently on the outside. I'm talking, I'm laughing, I'm having fun. <laughs> it's like sad right. that there's no, you'd want a connection or the fact that on stage you can be feeling great and have a terrible set. Right. Feeling miserable and have a great set. It doesn't matter. I still think ultimately at the end of the day, it's better if you're having, I still believe if, whatever, with uh, if you're having fun, it's better. You know what I mean? Yes. I still have to believe that. Right, know? right. But yeah, I, I have been getting less panic on stage. I still get it before every show at Open Mic a little, but I've gotten wow. less. I every get show. Open Mic, sweaty palms. It's fucking crazy. I've become a two-year in comic again. Wow. Yeah, I've been doing this for 42 years. Right, by the way, I'll give you a good intro at the beginning. We just started talking. Renan's a great comedian, very funny. I didn't even like mention that, uh, who you are or anything. We just started talking. But I'll do like a, you know, a Marin style where by myself I'm like, today we were talking with Renan Hirschberg and he's great. Um, but anyways, oh, oh, I think I was going to say that about the falling down thing. What my therapist would say is, so what is, you're afraid you're going to fall down what would happen if you fell down? What would that be the fear? You have to like play it out and just to find out what you're really it's afraid pla- of. It would be at Planet Fitness. Or I, or the, the, when I was having that, I was dizzy. I would have just fallen, like walking to the treadmill. I think I'd have been fine. Planet Fitness is not like the healthiest bunch. They all get it, you know. So it's kind of like what your worst fear. So then what would happen? So you fall down. Yeah, and then I just get up. Right. It's exactly. It's like so. If you the fall, worst like, fear in New York is not a big deal because no one cares about it. Yeah, no one gives a shit. <laughs> like I could shit myself. Because I feel this way. Like sometimes I'm like, I'm worried that um, I'm gonna, my, I have a toothache. I'm worried they're gonna not be able to fix it. And then my therapist will be like, all right, so then what? And I'm like, well, then I fucking, I just have to have dental work for years. Yeah. Okay, well, that seems impractical, but okay, so you go to the dentist. Yeah. I think ultimately the worst fear for most of it, though, deep down, is that you're gonna feel this way forever. That's the right. ultimate worst fear. Right. You know? And I did feel that this summer. Like, is this ever gonna go away? I had that's what I had dealing with this reflux thing, which I'm now figuring out is due to too many carbs, which is such a relief because I had the same thing. It was nine months and I'd take this pill. I'd take that pill. I'd try eating that or not eating that or exercising, sleeping, standing up and doing a cartwheel on Wednesdays. And it was like I couldn't feel better. And the anxiety was playing into it. And I was like, I'm just going to feel shitty forever. And it's a horrible. Yeah. It's like when did it? Yeah. What if I just felt dizzy for the rest of my life? And and what happens is eventually you just start feeling a little better each day, and then it gives you proof that you're not going to feel this way. But the truth is, you're never going to feel one way 
you're just constantly changing. Everything changes. Yeah, exactly. Then it's, you die. It's all change. Yes, impermanence is another thing they're yeah. always talking about in these goddamn Which Buddhist books. Which is comforting books. and not... Like, it's like... They use that as comfort a lot. Like, I was listening to... um, Oh, God, what's the fuck's his name? Philosopher. He has, like, a great video on anxiety. Alain de Baton. You know Who him? is it? Alain de Baton, French philosopher. I don't know. I know Ellen DeGeneres. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't know him. Alain de Baton. He's great, but he had this whole thing where he's like trying to calm you down from anxiety. And it's like, it's like in the video, it's like when you're having anxiety and you're nervous, just remember that no one, the universe is indifferent and eventually you'll be dead and be dead forever. <laughs> and, uh, and that will relieve a lot of your anxiety because you won't, you won't, <laughs> this important meeting is an important, I'm like, I'm like having a panic attack listening to it. Like that doesn't, that can go both ways. Yeah. <laughs> I feel that way too. Cause like ultimately my great fear is death, but I do sometimes without, even before I got into all this stuff, I would find some uh, solace or comfort in that. When I was a kid, I remember like freaking out or having anxiety or as in like high school and stuff of like this track meet or this girl, whatever. Mm -hmm. And then you get so panicked that you're like, I could kill myself. Yeah. And then you're like, I don't want to do that. And that's actually helps to be like, okay, let me go back to the beginning. Because I took it all the way to the end. And you're <laughs> like, I'm not into that ending. That's let me go Nietzsche back said. to the beginning. Nietzsche said, suicide has given me uh, much comfort on many a lonely night. Hmm. Because, uh, yeah, well, eventually you say to yourself, all right. I could kill myself. I'm not going to. Then I should shut the fuck up. Right, right. Either play or don't play. It's get busy living or get busy dying. Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, no, it's completely uh, it, It's completely true. Yeah, suicide can't help. Suicide's important to think about. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is. It's like important to have perspective. You, know, it's you the hear most that, kids? <laughs> think well, about Ca suicide. Camus said it's like the most important philosophical questions. You know, I, I don't know 100% about that just because. I feel like suicide is a lot of times a chemical imbalance more than a philosophical issue. You know? Right, right. But it is as an idea important to remember you could just end this. Right, right. And if you're not, it's kind of hypocritical to complain. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, you have that option. Or you could, uh, sometimes you think like, oh, I could just change dramatic. I could move to the woods like fucking, mm -hmm. you know, uh, what's his name? Thomas Hayden Church. Uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson. Ralph Waldo. No, no, not no. him. Henry Thoreau, David Thoreau. Thoreau. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I think I said the exact same thing. You're really the far podcast. off of the first one, but then really close was the second yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. I got, <laughs> I got better. <laughs> yeah. I love that Thoreau. Um, Fortunately, they can't chop down the clouds. Right. It actually wasn't really away from me. It was actually very close to the town. That's what I heard. Yeah. He was like his mother was like 10 yeah. minutes away. It was like, yeah, a, it was like a block away. The guy's full of shit. It was like an Into the Wild where he died like like yeah. a mile from like like uh, food and shelter. My favorite book. I'm reading Krakauer's new old book right now. Which of the old book? It's what? called, it just came out, Classic Krakauer. It's like all these like essays. Oh, all that. So it's like yeah. new old shit. It's pub previously published. That's neither here nor there. Um, when I was uh, eight, talking about death, when I was eight, my first, I think the beginning of my anxiety was I, was I was jumping on my parents' bed and I was looking in like the mirror and I just had this realization that like, I'm going to die one day and when I'm gone, like yes. when my body's gone, I'm gone. Yes. It was just a thought. Like yeah. the realization that your body is connected to it all. And, you know, and I started freaking out and I ran to the other room and I was like yelling, what happens when you die? What happens when you die? We we're going on a, a camping trip. Boy, you are like a real Jew. Yeah, <laughs> real funny Alan Bowman. So we got in the car and we're driving to this, like, I think uh, Ohio to for a camping thing with my whole family. And I'm in the backseat. I'm like, what happens when you die? What happens when you die? And my dad was just so sick of it. He's just like, nothing. It's just darkness. Now shut up. Wow. And, and I think did that, that resonate with you? 
Yeah, I think it's. <laughs> is that still what? Is that? I think it resonated in every panic attack I've had since. <laughs> right, right. Well, I've had that. It's interesting you say that because, like, I don't know how normal that is or abnormal or where we are in the chart, but I always would sit and like think about eternity I all the time. It, freak out. Yeah, as forever a kid. freaks me out. So I would, I would think about like oblivion. For all eternity, right? And I was thinking about existing for all eternity. They'd both freak me out. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Well, that helped me one time because I was—I've always been so afraid of death and panic and anxiety about death. And I remember this comic. Um, who the hell was it? I forget. I'll think of it. Oh, Shane Moss said it to me. I was like, "Doesn't it suck that we're gonna die?" Because I was drunk. We we're having a great time. Yeah. Like, doesn't it suck we're gonna die? And he's like, "Well, it'd be worse if we didn't." And that was the first time I had ever thought that before I, if you're yeah. just 800 years old and like well, that would I, suck yeah, i remember we read this book tuck everlasting as a kid i don't know if you read it in school but it was about ki- people who drank a potion and live forever oh no i don't think and I and they live forever and i would think about living forever and just immediately go into a panic attack yeah i i remember i don't have any more but my first panic attack was i think a couple years after that death thing i i'm just like in my house and i just suddenly it didn't feel, I didn't know it was an anxiety attack. I just suddenly felt like entire existence was meaningless. Mm. And I was just overwhelmed by it. And I just like ran outside, started screaming. <laughs> and I like pulled down my pants. It was like I had to do something. Oh, wow. Drastic. Yeah. Jeez. And I have that fit like every a couple times a year. Yeah, I get it quite a bit too. It's really weird. And, but the, the thing that kind of comforts me a little bit is the idea that um, life or after death it's just like before you were born right like you you have some sense or or tie-in to before you were born because this history we've recorded history we've already done it so you understand that in like 1975 the cincinnati reds won the world series and one flew the cuckoo's nest came out and fucking uh, you know uh george washington sailed the ocean blue or whoever did that so you know those things close again (laughs) but (laughs) um but there's nothing there's nothing recorded afterwards, so it feels empty. But before you were born, you weren't here for that. You weren't around for that. And it wasn't like you were sitting in an empty black room waiting to come into Earth. Like it's not like you we go to some shitty waiting room for the rest of eternity. Right. You just that's it. You did. Or or whole, you could believe in the afterlife. Yeah. A lot of people probably believe in an afterlife. Well, and that's agnostic. Great. I'm not like a complete uh, atheist. Yeah. I don't know. But, yeah. But I uh, I do uh, like some would sometimes think try to imagine not existing. Right. And it's impossible. Right. You can't imagine not existing because you're using the faculty in which you exist by. So you can't imagine it. And I try to imagine it. And you always fail. And then you end up in a fetal position with a panic attack. <laughs> right, right. And then you're just like, I'm a failure. I can't even yeah. imagine not existing. It's so it's like, you know, it's but also like it's so hard to imagine beginninglessness and endless things are talking about eternity. I really feel that like the concept of eternity is so um, alien to the way we perceive things because we perceive things as a beginning and an end. Right. We're bookended by life. And so we can't c- perceive of beginninglessness and endlessness. Right. And then you try to think about that, you freak out. So when I, when I had my first anxiety attacks, I don't think it was about that, like eternity. I just feel, I'd feel like everything was meaningless. And then I, sometimes I cut myself. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I didn't know it was a panic attack. Oh, wow. You're a mess of a guy, huh? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but you, I think you're a very smart guy. Sometimes I think you're too smart. If you were like a little bit dumber, like you need to hit your head or something. Yeah. Get retarded. Did you do really well in school? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but I, did, I didn't either. But I think I'm a smart guy. 
I was like writing plays and putting them on. Yeah, like, I was focused on you're that. like yeah. uh, Max Fisher. Yeah, Are you I Rushmore kinda, fan? I was, kinda, <laughs> I was a fat Max Fisher. Such I was kind of like that. Rush, if you're if you're not familiar with Rushmore, go watch it now. It's a goddamn masterpiece. One of the greatest lines of all time is when the principal's like about to like suspend him, but he's just like. Principal Harris, how long have we known each other? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love the line I was going to bring up, speaking of writing plays, is when he's like, do you remember how you got into uh, Rushmore? He goes, yeah, I wrote a little one-act about Watergate. <laughs> it's like a mate, like he's in third grade, and he wrote a one-act play about Watergate, which is such a fucking amazing line. One of the most beautiful moments. Have you seen Succession? No, I don't watch, uh, I don't, I don't watch of, it. I feel like they took it a little for that, but when Bill Murray sees the bees that he's trying to kill him with, oh yeah, and he has a smile of pride, yeah, yeah. turns into egg. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to see Brian Cox on Broadway on Wednesday. I'm going to see uh, the Great Society. Yeah, uh, he's LB, the best. He plays LBJ. He's the best. I loved him as Uncle Argyle in Braveheart. Great in that. Great as the original Hannibal Lecter. I've always said he's better than Hopkins. Oh wow! I think Hopkins is overrated. He's like a one-hit wonder. He had one good role. And Brian Cox has been amazing in everything. Overrated as an actor or overrated in The Silence of the Lambs? Overrated as an actor. Okay, that's fair. He's yeah. like always himself. Right. Brian Cox is like great in everything. Yeah, Cox is great. All right, I want to get back to okay. life and death here, <laughs> uh, eternal death. It's funny how we're going from <laughs> eternity and meaninglessness. And yeah, you should check out Brian Cox. It's great. <laughs> Better original animal actor. Um, that's life. But that's go, what we need. Yeah, you go from the big to the little and the big again. Yeah, yeah but that's what you need. I and mean, that's why films and music all exist, isn't it? it since the beginning of time. Not that film but like plays and all that is like hey let's have a little fun while we're here right yeah distraction from the void yeah and uh because there is that nice part of impermanent i told you um why well, i talked about it on my podcast you listen to my podcast occasionally right yeah uh Love it. i went and saw apocalypse now at the beacon theater one of the best nights of my life and mm -hmm. francis ford coppola came out robert duvall was there he came out and yelled charlie don't serve <laughs> Another well, movie you should see. What's that? He must be pretty senile. He looked a little. Yeah. He walked like his shoes were tied together. He like was he kinda... in that movie Widows, and I don't think he was aware he was in it. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but he's. I mean, he started. He's been acting since To Kill a Mockingbird, 1952. Yeah. Or maybe that was. I think it was 52. I'll have to double check. But anyways, um, that's a obviously brilliant masterpiece of a movie, but all about this going deep into yourself and being afraid to go there and I mean, now. yeah i mean the whole movie is a metaphor you're familiar with the film yeah? yes 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 uh i mean it's all the metaphor of like he's looking for this guy that's gone insane but he's going insane yeah. and he's already gone insane and yeah and then also see. like the actor was actually going insane <laughs> it's like you see in other people what you're seeing in yourself right yeah i mean it's a obviously a layered film and just a fucking true masterpiece uh, but anyways, we went and saw the movie at the Beacon, which was incredible. And then Francis Ford Coppola came out and he talked and he talked about, he said, uh, there's good news and there's bad news. He's like, the bad news is there's no afterlife. But the good news is there is a heaven and this is it right here yeah. We're we're living in heaven. So make the best of it and yada, yada, blah, 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 whatever he said. I mean, that guy's a, a genius. It's made some shit movies, but yeah, that was. That I do have that sometimes where I have moments of feeling like the color and clarity and the sounds of life and being like, God, this is amazing. I can pick things up and walk around yeah. and it's incredible. And I go to these, I go to Wales or all these different places that are beautiful and we get to perform. And there's moments, brief moments of like, oh, this is incredible. Yeah. And then the next moment is like, wait, what? you're going to die though. 
Yeah, death is like this buzzkill that always comes in. It's like the cop. I feel like that. It's like life is a party, and death is this cop who comes in and like breaks it up all of the time. Yeah, that could be a bit. Yeah, the thought of death. You know, right, it's right. Like, all right, you, you know, it ruins the party. Right. And no that, matter how fun you're having, at a certain point, you go, "I'm gonna die," and it just fucking ruins the whole thing. Well, we do, but I feel like most people don't have that. I feel like the majority of people don't think about death. It is interesting. Like, I don't think my, I don't know. Maybe they, maybe they do and I they just they don't do. talk about it. Yeah, I think they, you have to. I guess so. You have to. I mean, it, it is sucked that it, it does put a glass ceiling on how much fun you can have. Yeah, it shouldn't. That's, <laughs> that's a mental illness. That's where we're fucked up, I well, think. Well, death should make you feel present, and yet it doesn't. Right. It should make you feel like, oh, enjoy it right now, but then you're thinking about it, it ruins the present. Well, it's what you should, it, it's... The knowledge of it should make you enjoy the present instead of it has the opposite effect. Well, sometimes it has the opposite effect to me because I feel like I'm always judging that I should be doing something better. I'm watching a movie and I'm going, I should be out in the park or I'm out in the park and I think, think I should be. You think you're doing it wrong. Yes. You think you're always thinking you're doing it wrong. Yes. Yeah. And my therapist helps me with that. Something he said is like, you have to let go of the idea that there's a right answer and a wrong answer to everything. Like he's yes. like, you're seeking for the right thing to do in every moment. Which I'm not talking about like ethically right thing to do, but like, should I watch a movie or should I go for a walk? Should right. I watch a hockey game or should I play mandolin? I get that all the time. It's almost like you feel like there's homework for having a fulfilling life and you're not following it. You're not like doing it. You know? Right. You're like, I have an obligation to be outside right now or I have an obligation. Yes. To this. You know, that's what I so desperately have to let go of. There is no right choice. It's no, just your choice. You're whatever you be miserable either way. Yeah, whatever <laughs> you. Well, I'm only miserable because I'm fighting the yeah. choice. If I just watched a game or jerked off or, you know, whatever, painted a house. Yeah. I'd be fine. But instead, I'm painting a house going, I should be jerking off. Yeah, exactly. You're always, yeah. Well, that <laughs> that's the sad thing, too, is I always think, like, the, in a way, the definition of a neurotic is someone who's like, whatever choice they make they're going to be thinking they should have made the other choice. Right. And, but they would have done the same thing if they made that choice. Right. So you're never just happy with the choice. You know? Yes. So that's kind of neurosis in so, a nutshell. Yeah, exactly. I'm a very neurotic guy. You can't guy. commit to the choice you made. I'm kind of a Jew. You are a Jew, yeah. Yeah, I have a... Well, I told you I went to... Uh, yeah, you saw your name. I went to Auschwitz and my name is in there. So I got to do a 23 and me. I got to spit on a... It wasn't only Jews there, though. We just kind of like... We kind of really took over the, you know, the Holocaust branding. But they right. killed a lot of other people, too. Yeah, I guess so. I don't, I, you seem upset. I don't mean to let... You know, uh, I want to be a Jew, Jew man. <laughs> I think it'd be fun. Well, it just it explains so much. Honestly, Irish Catholics are the best comics. I don't know. Well, we got... Who we got? Quinn? Or not Irish Catholics. Boston Comics. Bill Burr. Boston, yeah, Burr. Louis. Louis. Patrice. Gullman. Uh, Patrice, Gullman. That's kind of like the four. Yeah, when I name my favorite, com all those guys, DePaulo, too, is like one of my favorite comics of all time. Like my top three favorite comics of all time are Louis, Gullman, and DePaulo. Boston. All Boston. Yeah. Yeah, we are the best. Yeah. There's something oh, yeah, to you it. Know, yeah, they're, they're up there. It's they don't pretty, get enough. The Boston doesn't get enough. Uh, and Dane Cook. And Dane Cook was amazing. And then Stanhope's Worcester, but he's a Boston guy. Throw Stanhope in there. Yeah. And then there's all these guys, too, that like kind of were like Marin was part of that scene. He went to school up there. So it's not black or Jew. It's white guys. Yeah, yeah white guys. <laughs> well, we got Patrice up there, too. Oh, right, right. I mean, right, Patrice right. is maybe, uh, oh, he'd be in my top four or five, too. Um, 
Yeah, he's probably fourth for me. I don't like to go order. I don't like to go order, but all four of those guys are my favorite. He probably didn't have anxiety that much, Patrice. I bet he had some. He must. He's got. He had his own problems. You ever look at comics or like they don't ha- they don't seem to they don't seem to have any self doubt, and that's why they're good. And then you're like, if it, is this what's keeping me back that I have self doubt? Oh, I think that my anxiety has held me back staggering amounts because I can't work but I'm only ever writing and creating when I feel good which is only about 20 minutes a week yeah like there's so much fear of death or unknown has prevented me from working so much as I'm like what's the point of working if climate change is going to destroy all of us right right like the the single biggest detriment to my that's entire not just anxiety. career. That's a, that's a good question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no. I mean, that's the thing too. Is reality is scary. Like some of it, yeah. we're in our heads, but that some of very it, justified. yeah, yeah. Um, but that's the single biggest detriment to my career has been anxiety and stress because I just I procrastinate because I'm anxious to make a decision, and a lot of my procrastination is. Should I be writing or should I be tweeting? Should I be getting whatever? It's right. just, it, and then you end up doing nothing. And you'd think eventually you'd get so exhausted by it that you'd be done. But it, it's, it keeps on coming back. Yeah. It's, I, I would think by now I'd be exhausted of the worry I put into every text where someone doesn't respond. Or right. I think they're being cur- – basically my whole life is me thinking someone texted something away where they're mad at me mm-hmm. and then finding out that's not true at all. Yeah, yeah. And I just repeat that every time and l- learn the same lesson and go back to repeating that. Well, that's what we do a lot too. And again, it's like we're not just creating – are like believing our thoughts we're believing our thoughts of other people yeah. we create their thoughts and so much of our dialogue is created where i'm like he's saying this and then we think that's reality when in reality they just but the have tough, the shits and the, so they're not texting you back but the toughest thing is is that like no matter how much you can intellectualize it it's still there as a feeling and right. i know i know i'm being crazy at times i was emailing amy at new york comedy club and i thought she said something that was like was she mad at me Right, and she was. It was just it was totally in my head. I talked about it with my therapist for like an hour. Most of my therapy sessions are talking about the current texts or emails. Do you go to Alan? Are you an Alan guy? No, no. I got a. I got a this uh, great woman. I see. Uh, yeah. All I right. I can't have a man. No, really. I need a comforting mother figure. Oh, interesting. <laughs> um, now, so is that what fucked you up? Do you have mother issues, or what's going on with you? How'd you get so tuned up here, or is it just part of being a Jew? No, I mean, I think, I think. I think my dad has like maybe is very smart and has depression, and my mother is like uh, has like a lot of anxiety that manifests itself in more trivial things. I right. think I took her anxiety with my dad's kind of more uh, analytical stuff and combined the two. She right. gets anxious about the trash not being taken out. Yes, my mother's yeah, the same. And she'll way. break down crying if you don't take out the trash immediately. Okay, yeah. So it's like crazy, like OCD. Right, kinda, right. But it's not ever like oh, death. It's never death. Right. It's always like we we didn't set the table in time for people coming over in two hours. It's always the most trivial shit with like anxiety under it. So I think I took that anxiety and combined it with my dad's uh, thinking life is meaningless. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> into but, uh, into you know this mess right here. But maybe the trash really is death. Have you ever heard the theory that all of our fears are broken down into two groups: fear of death and fear of being alone? You ever hear yeah, that theory? Yeah. That like she's afraid that if you don't take the trash out, the house will smell, the guests will come over, they'll see trash, they'll be like, I can't be near you, I'm leaving, and then you have no friends. I, I think there's some truth to it. I think it's, she's, so it's people who hoard are afraid of impermanence, right? 
Yeah. They're afraid of letting go. Okay. Yeah. She's the opposite of a hoarder. She right. throws everything out. My mother's the same way. When my grandpa died, like he always wore these Velcro shoes. Yeah. You know, which is always very sad. Yeah. And and uh, when he died, I came back from the hospital and I walked by the trash and the Velcro shoes were in the trash. Wow. <laughs> wow. Which is the saddest image yeah. of all time. <laughs> very sad. Just boom, get out of here. I think we have very similar mothers. Man, that's how we ended up yeah, similar. She, she's like, if, if, if something's not done right away, she'll break down. Yeah. My mother's the same way. And it's all learned behavior. Now, because my therapist believes in. Very few things are uh, like physically hereditary or whatever you call it, um, passed down. Yeah. Although he's in the minority on that thought. That's not the, what do you call it? Uh, what's uh, the word? Of? Majority? Yeah. yeah but no, majority but, opinion? Yeah. We'll use that word, but the um, the common belief, consensus, whatever. The consensus, consensus is the word I was looking yeah. for. Is that his saying, he's like bipolar or certain things, certain really serious mental things are like kind of pat- genetic. But mostly it's learned behavior. That's his theory. I talked to Dr. Drew. He completely disagrees. I mean, it's a balance, And right? he's famous. So yeah, that's true. It's a little bit of a balance, I guess. But my therapist is like, no, it's learned behavior. Your mother was anxious about everything and your father, whatever, didn't hug you enough. Whatever bullshit. I don't know. It, it, By bullshit, me, I mean the story of my life. I just think it's stupid when people go nature versus nurture. It's nature and nurture. Right, right. Why are we, why are we like... Why are we pitting them together? <laughs> like, it's, it's like, like it's TM both. and mindful meditation. Yeah. They're rivals. It's, yeah, they don't a, need to be. Yeah, it's just they work together. It's both. Right. Okay. That's fair. Uh, but tell, I your, do, tell your fucking therapist I think he's an idiot. I love my therapist. <laughs> I love my therapist more than I love my parents. Is he Jewish? Oh, big time. Alan Lefkowitz. Ah, the oh, Jewish yeah. father you always wanted. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I love him. I saw, there was one day I posted this on Instagram. I was like, I was reading like three, I'm always reading multiple books, which makes it seem like I'm smart, but I'm really just, I can't decide what books to read. Just non-commitment. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I'm reading like nine books right now. Right now I got Jack Cornfield. What's it called? Bringing Home the Dharma. Yeah. And then uh, I also have this book that was sent to me by a fan Corey Allen. It's a great book called Now is the Way. This book's terrific. And uh, I have trouble reading like self-help books. Uh, well, it's all, it's all, I got his Buddhist books. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You got his, I guess not, it is both. Yeah. Um, I'm taking a big sip of water here. I didn't, I didn't mean to say like trivialize it by saying self-help books. You trivialized. I mean, I guess I was kind of trying to do that. You can't take it back. <laughs> I said I didn't mean to. I meant, that's what I meant to do. Um, but no, it's great. But anyway, so I'm reading multiple books. Oh, but at one point, sorry, this is going back to the Jewish thing. I was reading like, Bernie Sanders' book, Al Michaels' book, and then a Woody Allen book. And then there was like one other thing. And I was like, oh, I'm obsessed with New York Jews. <laughs> like, it's just like I had four different things. I was like, what oh. The book of short stories? Which one? Woody Allen? Uh, maybe. I can't Side remember. Side Effects Without read, Feathers. I love those books. Some of the funniest writing. I think it's funnier than some of his movies. I think no. it's one of the funniest. One of the funniest writing of all time. Well, whatever you feel about Woody Allen being a pedophile and all that stuff, he's one of the best ever at everything he's ever done. Stand-up comedy, screenwriting, directing, comedic acting. Rapists are just really talented, and that's just the realization we've all had. To- <laughs> yeah, Polanski, Cosby. Yeah. Uh, probably all the musicians. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, Woody Allen, yeah, he was, yeah. he was. I mean, I'm not crazy. The last 20 years, I've not been, I don't think his movie, I've, I find his movies there's a lot Underwhelming of now, Yeah, there's a lot of not great ones. He used to be the best. For sure. But I also think that's probably seeped into my conscious too of being like, oh, I'll be like Woody Allen. Right. Like right, I, right. I've watched so many of those movies. I was so obsessed with those movies that I'm like, or maybe I maybe it was the chicken and the egg. I love the movies because he was always contemplating death and impermanence and stuff. 
I always see part. I always said part of myself was like want to be like Woody Allen. Another part of myself want to be like Bob Dylan, which mm. is also Jews. Yes. And for me, it was always like there's a neurotic part of me that's Woody Allen. And then there's also, I don't know why I picked Bob Dylan just because I love him, but there's a self-destructive part of me that's not like Woody Allen. Right, right. Where I would drink and do drugs and like, you know, and, but I was always a hypochondriac who did drugs. So right. I always like do cocaine and then freak out. Oh, I can't <laughs> picture you as a coke guy. Oh yeah. I had a, my first anxiety meltdown was when I did too much coke in New York back when I lived there years ago before I did comedy and my like heart kind of got hit, like got punched. Oh, Wow. And then I was okay for a day. And then the next day, this is going back to, um, you know, my dad, the whole death thing. Yeah. Two days later, I'm talking to my buddy on the phone outside the subway. And we're just talking about death. Like, I guess you do with your friends. And he said, uh, well, my therapist said, you know, we all have to die. That's just something everyone's going to have to go through. Yeah. And something about that line triggered this massive, like, anxiety break where I just, like, started freaking out. Like, I ran into the subway. And then for the next week i was convinced no one was real besides myself oh wow and i thought i was going crazy i wasn't it sounds like you're going a little crazy well a little but it was it was it was the anxiety of thinking a valid anxiety which is that you can't ever be sure that anyone's real besides yourself Hmm. which is a valid anxiety that is true you can't ever you only know that you exist um but it was also going a little crazy. But I also thought I was going crazy, which is part of the anxiety. When you're really going crazy, you don't think you're going crazy. Right. You think like Catch-22. Yeah. You think that guy's a lizard or this guy's, you know, like right. an alien. You don't, you know, you're actually did, probably kind of calm. Did or, you read Catch-22? Yeah. Was I don't it know good? I said yeah. Uh, <laughs> I've read <laughs> what I said. Yeah. Okay. If you say I've read a book and I go, yeah, yeah, that means I've read 50 pages. Oh, okay. I have it over there. I bought it. And then I never read it. There's I tried somebody... to read it. It's like not, it's like less funny Woody Allen in more of a literary way. Like it's trying to be jokey in that way, but not as like. Oh, gross. Crazy. I hate when non comedians. Sorry, I'm just making sure because I'm getting paranoid that we're not recording this. The better the podcast goes, the more I'm like, we're going to lose this. It's going to suck. It... Yeah. No, it's good. We got two little battery slices left. Um, but you know, if it, we lose it, that's part of the impermanence. Exactly. Ultimately- <laughs> exactly. I've, I mean, it's happened before. There's Gary Gullman always talks about there was some famous writer I can't remember that was in the Holocaust, not Ellie Weissel. Did you read that book, Night? Yeah, that Primo, book's Primo amazing. Levy. What's that? Primo Levi. What's that mean? That was the other writer he's probably talking about. Oh well, there's some guy that lost all his shit in the Holocaust. Like mm-hmm. everything he had ever written was like burned by these fucking Nazis, and um, he had a great quote about it and i don't know oh. offhand and well, i can't remember so i guess google that watch rushmore uh, google the quote each other the worst wise advice it's i know i know well this is the, yeah this, this writer i can't remember had this great quote this is the idea <laughs> i thought about calling the podcast wisdom like dumb like dumb maybe something I'm like that like the Marugubi is it, <laughs> but is it is it too punny of a title to call it wisdom and it feels a little stupid i don't like puns but other people like them. i love pun you don't like puns i'm not crazy oh man i love a pun I told you I was going to do Tip of the Hirschberg for my album, but I didn't do it. I like that. What did you end up calling it? Downhill ever since. Oh, yes. I remember we talked about this in the park. It's appropriate because I had a nervous breakdown after recording it. So. Oh, wow. Well, the anxiety meltdown. When does the album come out? February 4th. Jesus Christ. <laughs> why Why so long? It took a while to edit it, and then they, it's just like the, the spot they have. You know, it's 800 pounds, and they have a bunch of other oh, shit okay. with Warner Brothers, so I guess they have to, like, do it when they're not coming out with other shit. Oh, jeez, okay. Oh, I don't know when this is going to come out, because this is only the this is now the second episode of Recorded. So this might not come out for six months. It might yeah. not ever come out. I might, yeah. I might okay, kill myself. Yeah. It's a little, yeah, it's annoying that it has to wait so long, but whatever. It'll, time goes quickly. We'll be 
you know, February before you know it, we'll be dead soon after that. That's the thing. Time passes quickly. It keeps moving. You can't stop. You ever have anxiety attacks about that, that you can't stop time? It's just moving yeah. forward right now. I and think I've had anxiety about every aspect of life. Well, I remember um, <laughs> my uncle said this to me when I was a kid. This probably had a resounding effect. The fact that I'm still recalling it 35 years later or whatever, or 32 years later, I don't know what age I was, but my uncle said, every second you're closer to dying. You're one second closer to yeah. dying. And I remember he said that I was a kid. I tried to do a bit about <laughs> good, it. Good, I tried to do a bit. talk. Of, well, <laughs> I tried to do a bit about it, but just saying the setup, people get bummed out. People like are like, the, Jesus, man, like come on. Louis C.K. joke. Every second you're closer to dying. Now blow out the candles. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what it felt like. And I remember just contemplating it so much. And But that's the thing, and maybe this is a good way to kind of slowly wrap it up, but I read all these things about people that are dying and their wisdom that they say is I spent way too much time worrying because it's like when you're in, I've used this analogy before where all through elementary school, you're like, Oh my God, this is so serious. And I can't believe I got to pass this death. And then you get to middle school and then you're like, Oh my God, elementary school was a fucking joke. And then you get to high school and you're like, middle school was a joke. I could have been fucking around. And then you graduate from school and you're like, all of school was just stupid. I should have just been having fun. Who gives a shit? And I think that happens in life. You get to be 70 and have cancer, and you're like, God, I was worried about my fucking sock color in 1998. For some things, but then for other things, you're like, oh, the woman I loved, I should have really stayed in that marriage. <laughs> okay, well. You're not, like, you're not like at 70 going, what was I thinking about? You know right. I mean? Well, some, obviously some there's things big things. You, but other th- the things you worry about, yeah. But all the worrying about haircuts or clothes choice or oh, yeah. what movie to watch or all that shit is all bullshit. You're not even going to remember it. Yeah. yeah. But there is so much, it is so hard to not battle with all these decisions. Sounds like a lot of our anxiety stems from outside of our mother or hereditary or that. It stems from adults in our lives saying things that are really true at an age where we shouldn't have heard it. Right. I mean, we should. Well, that's what my therapist always says is you feel, you feel, and this is the, the basis of all my problems is I feel unprotected yeah. in life. Yeah. That something bad is going to happen to me. I won't be able to protect it. No one will be there to protect me. And that comes from youth of that feeling of nobody's not feeling comforted. I feel unprotected and that I won't be able to handle a cavity or a right. hurricane or anything. And my therapist just reminds you, yeah, you'll just handle that. You'll be yeah. fine. Because I've had this experience with anxiety. It's all anxiety. I find myself so anxious about, I keep going back to the dentist or the doctor. And then when I'm in the dental chair, my dentist is always like, yeah, you're really calm. You're doing great. You're just sitting there. Because it's all the anxiety leading up. Once you're in the moment, like I had stitches taken out when I had my wisdom teeth taken out. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so anxious. So I'm going to be nervous. And he's like, okay. Yeah. And the doctor, he thinks I'm going to pass out or shit my pants or run away. Right. And then he's taking them out. He's like, you seem unbelievably calm. Well, it's the same thing with you on stage. You're in a show and you haven't. I think part of our anxiety is making us think that it's worse than it is. Right. Like I act like I had a nervous breakdown this summer. Right. Right. But I can't really say that. I, it didn't. I didn't change anything in my life. I did not go anywhere. I didn't. You, you can't say it's a nervous breakdown if you have to tell people you're having a nervous right, breakdown. Right. Right. Interesting. Yeah. It's not like you were shitting on the floor. Part, and... Yeah. Part of anxiety is because we're high. We're functioning. Yeah. Yes. We're functioning. I mean, in New York, when I had that coke thing, I couldn't leave my apartment for two weeks. Yeah, that's but, not too bad. But that was bad. But I've been. We we're functioning. So it's. That is an important, like with Goldman, like he was not functioning. Right, right. So it is important to remember, like, even though part of your anxiety is thinking it's really bad, that's part of anxiety. You think you're going crazy. You think the world's ending. But you always also have to remind yourself, you did leave your house 
do a show. As long as you can do all of those things, it's really not as bad as you think it is. Yeah, my therapist always says that too. He's like, "Well, you, you're you're doing it," and I'll be, I'll be like, "Yeah," I'll always say, "I can do it. I can I can do." And he goes, "No, no, not you can do it. You're you doing are it. doing it." Anxiety is everything and nothing at the same time. It, it right. feels like the world's coming to an end, and yet also, literally, nothing's happening. Right. Literally nothing's happening. See, that's a good note to end on right there. Boom. Anxiety is everything and nothing all at once. It's everything and nothing. That's wisdom. That was a big nugget. You just came wisdom all over yeah, me. Really said that. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for coming on and of doing course, the, the show. That was a great talk, I think. Uh, what, your album comes out. This might not come out till February. I have no idea. The album's called what again? Downhill Ever Since. <laughs> and it's coming out February 4th. February 4th. Pre-order January 8th. Well, a month to pre-order. Well, I mean, it's I, I need something in the. It's, it's, I need something to say it's sooner than it is. That's you know? a good point. But <laughs> get, um, February. get the album because it's a killer album. I mean, I haven't listened to it, but I know your act. <laughs> I, it's a killer act. How did how did the recording go? It's good. You know what's on it? The uh, Hannibal Lecter joke. Oh yeah, yeah. We both joke. had a very similar joke. Yeah. yeah. Um, we love Hannibal Lecter. It all comes back to <laughs> Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. Great film. Jonathan Demi. R.I.P. 91. Oh, yeah, he's no dead. No more anxiety with him. He's dead. Coppola's still alive, though. So go, and so is Wes Anderson. So we've got great filmmakers. There's plenty yeah. of reasons to live. Mm-hmm. Go watch Rushmore, The Silence of the Lambs, and uh, Apocalypse Now. Mm-hmm. That's your assignment, everybody. Renan Hirschberg, thanks for having me. I'll give you a sweet intro in the beginning. It'll be great. Yeah. So what's your Twitter or Instagram? Uh, at Ronan Comedy. That's R-A-A-N-A-N. Comedy. Nice. And uh, hilarious. Much, much funnier on stage than what you just experienced. <laughs> <laughs> that was a very uh, serious podcast. All right. Thanks so much. That was fun. Mindful Metal Jacket is hosted by comedian Joe List. Produced by Joe List. Edited by Matt Kleinschmidt. Executive producers Robert Kelly and Matt Kleinschmidt for the Laugh Button Podcasts. Mm-hmm.